Hey, baby. Those bats in your eyes are you just one spooky gal. What? No, 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 no bags under your eyes. Why would I, why would I come up to you and say bat? What, why, what are those bags under you? That seems like a weird thing. To, I mean, well, no, I don't. No, you have very beautiful eyes. That's not what I was saying at all. I'm not implying anything. I Look, I got to be honest here. I just, I thought you were an attractive woman. You're wearing dark. I thought you were into gothic uh, culture. And I just thought I'd do the bad angle and maybe, you know, see who I... Oh, today, this is your um, husband's funeral. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll show myself out. Uh, but I, what about next weekend? You're listening. You're to listening radio. to Radio Free, radio Satan. Free Satan. Com. Com. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have... I always do that host, like I emphasize the host as if you didn't realize by now that I'm like the only dude giving you this show every time. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. Well, it is great to have you, and it is uh, April 14th, and I've got a great show for you this week. First of all, first of all, uh, today... Special day. It's my wife's birthday. Happy birthday, baby. Yeah, we, my daughter and I, I made this uh, scratch, you know, from scratch carrot cake last night. And this morning we did the little, you know, presents and cake. And and then we went on a hike up in the, I don't know if you're familiar with Utah at all, but there's uh, Spanish Fork Canyon, which has some pretty decent hot springs. Um, I don't know. It's like. It's like a mile and a half in, but if you have kids, it takes like almost two full hours to get there. <laughs> if you're a regular human being, it's like 45 minutes to an hour to get there. But, you know, with kids, everything takes longer. Kids. No, it was a lot of fun. And the day was beautiful, a little bit chilly. So we just, you know, some of them dipped their toes in the water, but it was nice. And I got to tell you, if you ever listen to this show, you've heard me rant and rave about my obsession with uh, hiking and camping and just being in nature. Part of it is just, you know, psychological, and but part of it is also physiological. Like, I have asthma, like you know, and as soon as I get out of the incredibly horrendously polluted Salt Lake Valley and up into the mountains, it goes the way of the dodo. It is bye-bye allergies, bye-bye asthma, and it is beautiful air. Uh, it doesn't affect me at all, and so obviously I want to be in that place. It just makes me feel better. Um, and it was an amazing day. And then we got back down into the valley, and there's actually a, a winery here in Utah that has some award-winning mead that it produces. 
And so uh, one of the gifts was that my wife is a big fan of mead. And so uh, we got her some of that. And so, you know, she's been enjoying that. I've been enjoying some of my homebrew beer. And it's just been, you know, the kids and watching movies and just relaxing after, a, you know, a good four and a half hours of hiking. <laughs> you need to relax. And it puts the kids out too. So <laughs> uh, it's good. And, and I got to also sort of, you know, touch on this really quick here. I cannot stress the importance. And though the kids may argue the importance at the time but getting your kids outdoors away from the digital world that they live in and touching a leaf chasing after a bird squishing a bug or you know just running away from it because it's icky and scary <laughs> uh, being afraid of a snake when they see it having those experiences outdoors that i mean it was only a generation ago was normal and now is not normal at all. Actually getting your hands dirty. When I was a kid, my parents would yell at me for playing in dirt or eating dirt. <laughs> Maybe that explains a lot of this commentary. <laughs> but, I mean, genuinely, I think that's a, a serious problem nowadays. Get your kids outside. Make them, because they're not going to want to initially. But there is some magic to be discovered out there. I mean, questions start to come up. Science is explored just because you force them to get outside. Truly, it is an amazing thing. And, and I know my kids are going to benefit, um, maybe not in the now, because they're complaining about having to walk for four fucking hours. Uh, but, uh, you know, later, they'll appreciate it later. <laughs> when I'm dead and gone and they're on their deathbed thinking back, they'll thank me for it. Uh, yeah, get your kids out there. It's a lot of fun. I had an amazing day. Speaking of getting kids out there, I, I also wanted to touch on this sort of idea. My kids' school for a couple years, and I guess it's just an annual thing for schools, but they do these fundraisers where they send your children out in droves to work for meaningless knickknacks like if you if you get if you sell you know a hundred dollars of product you're gonna get i don't know a ball and paddle as if anyone nowadays knows what the fuck that is but in this context kids really want to get that ball and paddle until they actually get the ball and paddle um but it's literally like child labor like as a society, we have collectively agreed that children working under uh, whatever age, I, I think it's maybe 15 or 16, maybe 14, is a bad thing. Unless it's your school doing the fundraising. And then, well, let's send them door to door. Let's make missionaries of commercialism out of them. And this is something that I avoided throughout my entire scholastic career. I just did not see the benefit in the shit that I would have gotten back. And it's sort of that same idea. Like, I smoked for six years, I think. Um, and each pack, like of Marlboros, for example, or Camel Bucks, for example, you'd get a little tag that if you saved up enough, you could get X prize. It's just this absurd notion that if you sell yourself out to this corporate entity, whatever it is, 
And for kids, there is literally a corporate benefit to it, and they are being slaves to this because they're not really getting any tangible return on their significant investment of time. Um, but if you just do that, then you'll get this little tiny trinket that says you have no goddamn life and your life is corporatism. And I don't know about you. I don't know about you. To me, it's horrible. It is a horrible message that you're sending to your kids. When you have... When you have McDonald's sponsoring your school, that's not a good thing. When you have your kids going door to door, shelling chocolate bars as if it was the return of Willy Wonka, it is not a good thing. Now, <laughs> I don't know what they tell the kids, but when I look into it, it's for a new marquee sign. I, I personally don't understand what's wrong with the one they have now. It's not like it's tagged up. It's not broken it i'm sure they want something digital and fancy and new but there's nothing wrong with it. it's an elementary school it doesn't have to, at the peak of, of the digital age in my opinion so sending their kids out and my kids in this specific example is offensive uh, frustrating but the kids want to do it so they can get that little ball and paddle does anyone even know what i'm talking about when i say ball and paddle i mean have we have we progressed so far outside the realm that doing man and it's frustrating because you want to support them in in whatever they want to do trying all the while to infuse a little bit of life experience and a little bit of wisdom of your own perspective and that is assuming you have some wisdom in your own perspective most of us parents don't uh, and then uh watching them the defeated look in their eyes as they go door to door and realize that this is a really pretty shitty time to be trying to sell anything. I mean, we're coming out of a horrible recession. Uh, people are really, really stricken. And this, I don't live in the most upbeat of neighborhoods by any stretch of the imagination. So that means that, not, you know, $10, uh, you know, that's food. Why would you shell it out to some shitty corporate product, overpriced product, I might add, when you could just buy food for your family instead? Right? It just kind of makes sense. But the school doesn't care, and they still send the kids out to do their slave labor. I don't know. You know, and I try to be supportive, but this thing, for some reason, this, this act really bothered me. And I'm hoping my child, and, you know, when the other one's old enough, my children will come to realize that um, being a slave to a corporate entity is not the goal whether our schools are teaching it or not. And that is sort of one of those things where you got to rage against that machine of, of, of school and, and uh, corporate instruction of which it has become. All right, well, aside from my ranting and my own experience, uh, I do have an amazing show for you this week. So in The Devil's Advocate, I'm bringing you the article, The Magic of Mastery. And this is an article that, or an essay that uh, Magus Gilmore has written, and it showed up in his collection in the Satanic Scriptures, which I believe is available right now, and you can pick it up, and you really should. It is full of some amazing thoughts uh, from a really amazing mind. And that fits perfectly the magic of mastery with at the tail end of this show the second half of this show in the creature feature i speak with krampus skateboards so uh, priestess melendez and her husband 
amazing human beings doing amazing work in a industry that, and you'll find out in the discussion, sort of ebbs and flows with popularity in popular culture. And, um, well, what they're doing is of worth. And so it sort of fits with that theme. But between those two segments, the Infernal Informant, two articles yet again, why Joe Barton's biblical flood comment is so illogical, and CISPA, stripped of privacy protections, heads for the House vote. And this is something that I talked to, uh, I don't know, maybe six months ago or something like that. Uh, but it's of importance, and so I'm hoping you pay attention. And that's going to be the show. So without any further ado, let's dive into The Devil's Advocate. You are your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And you are the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm an active member in the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. The Magic of Mastery. This is an essay Magus Peter H. Gilmore wrote in the Satanic Scriptures. I'll give you the first little paragraph here, and then I'll sort of just uh, talk about it. Being a Satanist, one is often mistaken for being a purveyor of mystical claptrap. Like so many occultists, when in truth, we are masters of reality, striving to understand and utilize the universe for our personal indulgence. One of the surest outward signs of the Satanist is not the sporting of all black clothing or the prominent display of the Baphomet sigil, granting that these could be dead giveaways, but the projection of the self-confidence and success which springs from the mastery of a field. Satanists can do things, and do them quite well. This is why they have chosen to embrace Satanism, the only religion to revere the talented few who stand above the dim and barren hordes. Megas Gilmore continues on to speak about mastery of profession, of uh, passion one has. And it doesn't always lead in a, in a professional sense. I mean, sometimes your passions are, are yours alone and you enjoy them and no one will ever know about it. Uh, maybe you're a gardener. Uh, maybe you're a musician that has never had that opportunity to uh, get your break. What, what differentiates Satanists from uh, the rest of humankind is that rather than focusing on one of the things that separates us, there's quite a few, rather than focusing on um, what you shouldn't do, trying to, trying to stop yourself <laughs> from enjoying the things that, that you want to enjoy or, or behaving the ways that you would naturally behave. We encourage it. We find strength in it. And that is carried through to uh, your accomplishments in life. Now, 
you may be an eternal scholar where you just want to absorb, to learn, and to study. There is a mastery in that. Uh, perhaps you are a construction worker and you are successful because you care about your craft. You use the right tools to accomplish uh, the project because you want it to last. You want your work to say something. You want it to be of quality. Um, you may be a composer. You spend your life trying to put together that perfect symphony or that perfect song uh, or, or performer in that case. Whatever it is you do, I, I mean, for me personally, you know, bringing it home a little bit, I'm torn because I have profession that as as a production designer I'm rather good at. I don't think my passion is there. I'm a grown-ass man and I still don't fully understand my, you know where where my passions lie. I mean I'm a home brewer and that's where I truly take my time and energy. I'm a family man and I put a significant amount of time and I love to do it. I'm an outdoorsman. I, I love, I have a passion for being in the wilderness. I don't know whether or not I am exceptional in either of those. But part of being a proud and powerful Satanist is that I don't overanalyze. I don't worry about it. I do what I care to do. I allow my own uh, my own mind, my own passions to guide my actions. And when I come out with a particularly amazing tasting beer, it has body, it has color, it has aroma, it has a, a lasting finish. That is true magic for me. Now, um, I just finished speaking with Krampus skateboards and um, they speak quite passionately about uh, their boards and the artwork that goes into it and the culture surrounding skateboards and you know that there is magic in Krampus skateboards you know that they they put everything that they are behind that business and that's why you know it's going to be successful that's why you know that there's magic involved in it so when we speak of magic we're not talking about fantasy and cartoons and fairy tales we're talking about the majesty that we're talking about the mastery of whatever makes you you now admittedly it's far beyond my understanding but some people love data they love crunching numbers and if you are good at that and that is your life and you spend your time concerned with that and consumed by that that is magical for you and that is true mastery it doesn't always have to be glamorous. Whatever your job is, whatever you do for a living, and whatever you do for a hobby, maybe it's not, uh, maybe you don't make money from it. Do it with passion. Put everything you have into it, or don't do it at all. You will find success through that model. You will find magic. And others whether you care about it or not, they will see that exceptionalism in it. And as Satanists, 
we applaud it. That is true magic. Uh, check out the article in the Satanic Scriptures. Pick up a copy, for fuck's sake. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing collection of writing. And uh, that's going to do it for the Devil's Advocate. Let's dive into Infernal Informant. Psst. Hey, 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 come here. Psst. What? Huh? Me? Do I know you? Hey, you're a religious man, aren't you? No more than anyone else. Listen, listen, I got a secret. It's, it's been eating me up, and I got to share it with someone. Get the fuck out of here, kid. I don't know you. No, listen, man. It's about you. It's about your life. You're about to have what, what alcoholics refer to as your moment of clarity. What are you talking about? Are you okay, son? Sins are indisposable to every society organized on an ecclesiastical basis. They are only reliable weapons of power. The priest lives upon sins. It's, it's necessary to him that there be sinning. Who the fuck are you, kid? I'm your infernal informant. Alright, this is the Christian Science Monitor. Why Joe Barton's biblical flood comment is so illogical. Uh, posted by Eowyn <laughs> O'Carroll, uh, April 11th, 2013. It's not that Texas Congressman Joe Barton cited the biblical great flood as an example of natural climate change. It's that he misrepresented the arguments of those who say that human activity is changing the climate. One hesitates to leap into a story on this. Out of concern that the very act of reading the following quote uttered by uh, Representative Joe Barton Wednesday during the Subcommittee on Energy and Power hearing on the Keystone XL pipeline might actually make our readers less informed. But the Texas Republican is expressing a misperception about climate science that, though ludicrous, is widespread in political debates around global warming. So, it's at least worth correcting. Ready? Here's the quote. I would point out that if you were a believer in the Bible, one would have to say the Great Flood is an example of climate change. And that certainly wasn't because mankind has overdeveloped hydrocarbon energy. Okay, deep breaths. It's worth noting that Representative Barton isn't actually saying anything false here. If, as a literal reading of the book of Genesis indicates, the world's tallest mountains were once submerged beneath 15 cubits of flood water, then yes, that would most definitely have been an example of climate change. And, if such an event actually occurred, you can't blame fossil fuels. The preposterousness of Barton's statement stems from his basic fallacy, flagrant even by congressional standards, in which he refutes an obviously silly claim held by nobody, and then acts as though he had just refuted a not obviously silly claim held by almost every climate scientist in the world. Among those climate scientists, you won't find a single one who thinks that our planet's climate has remained perfectly stable right up until the dawn of the hydrocarbon economy. Not one. In fact, natural climate change in the distant past offers the most precise evidence there is for man-made climate change today. That's why climate scientists spend so much time and effort trying to extract ancient gases trapped in Ar Arctic ice bubbles or the calcium carbonate shells of fossilized amoebas on the ocean floor. 
so that they can better understand the relationship between the composition of the atmosphere and the temperature of the globe. It turns out that lots of things, not just fossil fuels, can make our planet go warm or cold or wet or dry. These include volcanic activity, plate tectonics, meteor impacts, the wobble our planet has as it spins on its axis, and on, um, I'm sorry, on its axis, magnetic activity on the sun, and even the location of our solar system as it circles through the Milky Way. And ever since the Earth formed from the solar nebular dust some 4.5 billion years ago, it's been a wild ride. Some 700 million years or so ago, for instance, our planet was a giant snowball covered in ice. Any liquid water on the surface would have existed only as a thin band around the equator. Much later, about 55 million years ago, it was so warm that the Arctic supported um, deciduous forests. In the past 650,000 years alone, we've had seven cycles of glaciers advancing and retreating, with the last ice age ending about 7,000 years ago, just as we humans were getting down to the business of creating civilizations for ourselves. So this isn't really about Representative Barton's views on the Bible. He could have said, I would point out that if you're a believer in the paleoclimatic <laughs> climatological record, one would have to say that the paleoceno eco thermal maximum was an example of climate change. And that certainly wasn't because mankind had overdeveloped hydrocarbon energy. And it would have been exactly equally irrational. No climate scientist is suggesting that the Earth hasn't experienced dramatic climate swings in the past, or that uh, trilobites were driving SUVs and using incandescent bulbs. What they are saying is that surface temperatures are rising rapidly, and that they have ruled out every known cause except one, human activity. Is it possible that they're all wrong? Of course. Science is never settled. But demonstrating that the most climate scientists are wrong about global warming would require refuting their actual arguments and not knocking down parodies of their arguments. That's the article. I don't have to say, <laughs> I don't have to tell you uh, why I brought this up. I do want to point out something here. We're living in the year 2013. And we're electing human beings to act as public representatives who believe in the Bible. They believe in the story of the biblical flood. Now, I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, suggesting that there was never global floods I actually believe that there were, and they could have been caused by uh, meteors. They could have been caused by natural climate shifts, uh, as this article states. I, uh, I do not agree, and I understand that. Even the Tale of Gilgamesh, one of the oldest epics in, in mankind's history, if not the oldest, referenced a global flood. I'm not saying that it's impossible that something like that happened. In fact... I would be shocked if it didn't happen. I don't believe that it happened the way the Bible says it does. And I, I actually am infuriated that there are modern-day representatives of our society using that 
in climate science discussion. What insanity is that? And to think that there's human beings sitting on their asses at home, just getting back from Walmart, uh, where instead of walking, they actually just got in a little uh, mini wheelchair go-kart uh, to drive around the aisles because they're too fucking lazy to actually stand on their own two feet. Sitting there, wobbling their jowls up and down. Oh, that's a, that's a good point, Representative. Uh, uh, it has nothing to do with science, but I don't understand science. This is our society. These are the people we're sharing this planet with. Ignoring reality. Embracing fantasy and irrational arguments. It can be carried to whatever topic you like. But to this particular topic, it's insane. Here's what's amazing um, about science. It is admittedly fallible. We run experiments based on hypothesis to prove said hypothesis. And you know what? We're mostly wrong. And we admit it and accept it and continue testing possibilities. Um, the major fault with religion, it's absolute truth. There is no possibility of infallibly uh, being infallible. Uh, it was handed down by God, this invisible man in the sky, and he can't be wrong. It ignores everything amazing about human beings. It ignores everything that makes us as a as a species amazing, truly special, and hands it all to our own fictional creation. It is pure, the definition of insanity. But this is the world we live in. So, yes, I understand that uh, climate science uh, may continue on for our lifespan. And we may never get it right. Uh, we may never fully convince everyone of, of reality or truth. But we must strive. We must continue bringing facts to the forefront and ignoring irrational arguments that aren't even addressing the facts. Texas. I never, never in the most remotest part of my mind had any respect for you. I absolutely detest your representatives. I test, detest everything about you. Just being honest here. I don't like you, Texas. But now I have another reason. That's right. Another reason. Your representative. All right, let's move to the next one. CISPA, stripped of privacy protections, heads for House vote. This was published on the 11th of April, and this is actually from RT.com. Um, A controversial cybersecurity bill is one step closer to being added to the law books, followed uh, a closed-door meeting between members of Congress on Wednesday. Privacy advocates are up in arms about the House Intelligence Committee's overwhelming approval of an updated draft of the Cyber Intelligence Sharing and Protection Act, or CISPA, Wednesday afternoon by a vote of 18 to 2. Now, if the bill makes it all the way to the desk of the U.S. President Barack Obama, Americans will likely be subjected to having their personal information they provide to online businesses shared with the government's top-secret spy agencies. The authors of the bill... Representative Mike Rogers, Republican Michigan, and Dutch Ruppersberger, 
Democrat in Maryland, introduced a revamped version of CISPA in February after attempts to pass the act in 2012 were thwarted when the congressional session came to a close before a final vote could occur. In the few months between the original CISPA's demise and the reintroduction, though, officials have reported an increase in cyber attacks by way of Iran and China and have been condemned by politicians as high up as the president. Congress must act, Obama said during his 2013 State of the Union address, by passing legislation to give our government a greater capacity to secure our networks and deter attacks. On their part, Rogers and Reppersberger say CISPA would provide for the sharing of certain cyber threat intelligence and cyber threat information between the intelligence community and cybersecurity entities by closely monitoring threats to the nation's cyber infrastructure and formally legalizing the practice of sending personal user data to government agencies, including the Department of Defense and the National Security Agency. While no portion of CISPA requires companies to share data with the feds, major telecommunications providers have illegally shared customer data with NSA before, leading to a congressional grant of retroactive immunity in 2008, CNET reporter uh, Declan McCullough recalls. And that was actually thanks to the Patriot Act. Now, with the backing of both the Commander-in-Chief and the overwhelming majority of the intelligence community, CISPA is expected to have an easier time than ever advancing in the White House, I'm sorry, in the House and Senate, which would then require nothing more than the autograph of President Obama to sign the bill into law. Critics of the act aren't so sure that's a good idea, though, and are more adamant than ever at crushing CISPA after members of the committee failed to include a handful of amendments that were touted as safeguards necessary to protect the privacy of Americans. I understand that's kind of a punchline nowadays, the privacy of Americans, but there are actually people in our government trying to ensure it, and they're getting shot down. Representative Jan Schakowsky Democrat Illinois voted against CISPA during Wednesday's closed-door markup meeting, but might have acted differently had her congressional colleagues approved any of the three amendments that she unsuccessfully tried to tack on to the bill. One of those amendments would have excluded the Pentagon and NSA from the list government entities allowed to access third-party data. Another would create a high-level privacy post to oversee the retention use, and disclosure of communication records, system traffic, and other information obtained by the feds. You know, transparency and oversight. Pfft, not in this government. My amendments would have strengthened privacy protections, ensured that customers can hold companies accountable for misuse of their private information, required that companies report cyber threat information directly to the civilian agencies, and maintain the long-standing tradition that the military doesn't operate on U.S. soil against American citizens, she told reporters after the vote. I strongly agree with the need to enact effective cybersecurity legislation and commend the bipartisan effort of the House Intelligence Committee. But this bill doesn't sufficiently protect individual privacy rights. Schakowsky was joined in dissenting with Representative Adam Schiff, Democrat California, who told reporters after the vote that CISPA simply does too much to tear away at the personal privacy 
of internet users. In other words, everyone. It is not too much to ask the companies make sure that they aren't sending privacy information about their customers, their clients, and their employees to intelligence agencies, along with genuine cybersecurity information, Representative Schiff said. While I support increased information sharing without requirements that companies make sure they aren't sharing, I'm sorry, uh, make sure that they aren't sharing personally identifiable information as well as making the Department of Homeland Security the initial point of receipt. I cannot support the bill in its current form. That isn't to say that Schiff doesn't think changes could be made. Speaking to the LA Times Wednesday evening, he said that creating cybersecurity legislation is worthwhile, adding it shouldn't be that hard to require the steps that would protect people's privacy while also preventing the massive theft of Americans' work product that's going on. The authors of the bill say that foreign hackers have cost U.S. businesses billions of dollars by stealing intellectual property, by infiltrating computer networks, and CISPA could curb those assaults while also helping prevent cyber attacks that could cause actual physical damage. Opponents call these warnings trumped up and over the top, though, and fear that the U.S. government is advancing a cybersecurity bill in order not just to answer these alleged revamps of cyber attacks, but to take away what little is left of Americans' privacy. Jennifer Martinez, a reporter for D.C. The Hill, tweeted a photo from outside of the closed-door hearing Wednesday afternoon that showed two signs on display for the committee. An enlarged issue of Bloomberg Business Week that reads, Yes, the Chinese army is spying on you. And a quote from the Electronic Frontier Foundation's Trevor Tim that he made last year on RT. They can dream up these nightmarish scenarios and try to scare people. These are no studies or empirical evidence that show this is a giant danger to us all, said Tim. CISPA is being opposed by the EFF, the American Civil Liberties Union, and a number of other advocacy groups determined to keep any government from getting too much control of the Internet. Facebook and Microsoft both originally supported the bill, but have since changed their stance. And on Wednesday, a co-founder of the website Reddit published a passionate anti-CISPA video plea that quickly went viral. I'm hoping that all of these tech companies take a stand, that their privacy policies matter, their users' privacy matters. Reddit's Alexis Ohanian says in the clip, and no legislation like CISPA should take that away. Before his suicide in January, fellow Reddit co-founder Aaron Schwartz told RT that CISPA is incredibly broad and dangerous, since it provides the federal government with an unprecedented power to snoop on online activity. It also goes much further and allows them to spy on people using the internet, to get their personal data and emails, he said. The House Representatives I'm sorry, the House of Representatives is expecting to weigh in on CISPA next week. Both Schiff and Schakowsky say they hope to amend the bill when it goes before the full Congress then. Alright, so that's it. So why do I even care? Why is it a big deal to you? Everyone is, is very cynical nowadays, and for good cause. It is known that our own government, at any time, can illegally tap your phone without threat of action against them. Um, they can already 
capture, and they do already, do not fool yourself, capture your data, uh, your internet activity. Um, and they do that under their rationale, whether you believe it or not, um, for the greater good, uh, to protect its citizens. <clears throat> we have to make a decision here. We have to decide whether we are a whether we are a country that has a government to protect us or whether we have a government to take care of us. And this is an argument that can be applied to any greater uh, hot-button issue. Guns, abortion, um, uh, welfare, anything. But we have to make that agreement uh, truly, as a as a collective here, as as a country, as a nation, whether our government is going to protect us or whether our government is going to take care of us, and whatever the decision, that informs policy moving forward. Now, as far as I understand the constitutional constitution, and I admit I am not a constitutional lawyer, but as I understand the constitution, it is there to protect us. It is not there to take care of us. That means that government is there to work within the bounds of the Constitution, meaning they are not here to take care of us. Now, when it comes to corporate espionage and when it comes to internet hacking and when it comes to cybersecurity, it is not the government's place. I understand that if you had it under one house, it may be, may be more effective. But that's operating on the assumption that our government is effective. If, I would argue, you've been paying attention to anything in the past 80 years, that's right, 80 years, it hasn't been very effective. So to trust our cybersecurity to the government, in my opinion, is absurd. Uh, we really shouldn't. We should be holding companies accountable for our privacy. Meaning, uh, in this example, I'm going to use Facebook. If you trust Facebook's privacy policy, if you trust Facebook as a corporation, and you give your information under the assumption that they will not share that illegally, and then they do, or they're hacked, they are liable. Meaning, you can sue them in a court of law for their breach of contract. Under this bill, CISPA, they're just operating under the government's authority and there's nothing wrong with it. Now, this also sort of plays in the idea of whether or not you see the government as big brother um, or a friend, meaning whether they're there to keep you down or they're there to help you. Uh, I, I think it's a little mix of both in reality, but in general, I'm going to say when it comes to something like the internet, it is not a nationally owned product. This is the one thing that is truly global. That no, no, no nation can take ownership of, no corporation can take ownership of. It is the embodiment of freedom. I mean, spend a half an hour searching and you'll see what I mean. You can do anything. You can get anything in this last wild west of our reality. And 
to pass a bill like this closed-door CISPA is suggesting would take your privacy, what joke of privacy you think you have left, and legally throw it away. I, I don't understand how to say it any more clearer. You, if you, if you care about your privacy, if you think your representatives have anything to do with passing this bill, if you think you have a voice, you are responsible. It is incumbent upon you to reach out to your representatives and let them know that you do not agree with this, that you think you should have a right to privacy no matter what, and that our government does not own the internet and should not be able to snoop on us for any reason. And that argument about, well, if you're just a law-abiding citizen, you have nothing to worry about, is bullshit. And you should be embarrassed for thinking about it. And I know some of you are. It's okay, we're all human, we make mistakes. There is something called freedom in our minds, in our imaginations. And it was on the internet at one point, believe it or not. Up until about 2011. I'm sorry, <laughs> 2011. Up until about 2001, I would argue. But, you know, everyone has their different dates. Um, if this is the last pure area of expression we have, do not allow people to take it from you. Fight for it. If there's anything worth fighting for, your own privacy should be it. And if you're cynical and that has consumed you, well then, enjoy the show. All right, let's uh, take a quick break. On the other side, we'll dive into an amazing interview with Krampus Skateboards in the Creature Feature. We interrupt your normal adverts to bring you this information from Deep Six Radio and why you should be listening. Take it away, chaps. Meet the gang, cause the boys are here. The boys to entertain you. With music That's right, these boys certainly will show you a good time. Why not stop on by for a sherry? Hey, hey, hey. The songs and sketches and jokes on the new with us about... That's right, Deep Six, only available on Radio Free Satan. The boys to entertain you. We are here to make you feel gay. Oh, yes. So give us a cheer with a hey, hey. Hey. Just gather around and put down your gun. With us about, there's plenty of fun. So meet the gang, cause the boys are here. The boys to entertain you. That's right, there'll be jovial times and good times. Stop it by. Did I mention a sherry? And remember to choose Deep Six Radio. Together we'll beat the jerry swine. The 1980s. A decade of greed. A decade of power. Of lust, looks, and excess. The end of flower power ideals, the decade of me, me, me. All the more reason to revisit the 1980s. Relive those indulgent times on the Metro. The Metro. The Metro. The Metro. The Metro. Tune in to the Metro, Radio Free Satan's very own celebration of the 1980s through music. 
Every week, a unique hour of new wave, post-punk, and other retro music from the decade of decadence. With your host, DJ J. Nothing. The Metro. The Metro. The Metro. The Metro. Only on RadioFreeSatan.com. show called what do you mean what is it called you know what's the name of the show what like the title what's the title of the show is that what you're asking me yeah what's the big deal what's the title of the show look it should be good enough for you and for any of you other generation y's or x's or w's or z's or or whatever fancy letter you're sitting on today to to realize it it's not about what the title is it's not about when I was your kid, there's only one thing that we had growing up. When we wanted to watch a show, we just turned on the telly on Saturday mornings, and you know what we got? Do you know? Do you have any idea what we got? No, I have no idea. Why are you freaking out? Every single Saturday. And we didn't know what shows were, what, what titles were, or, or what... We had no choices on what to watch. We were stuck with the creature feature, and so are you. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by Heather and Alex Melendez. They are the owner-operators of Krampus Skateboards. I actually saw on some social networking sites um, uh, imagery about this, and I saw some people that I knew liked what you were doing, and so I reached out to you, and they've been very gracious to come on the show and speak to us about Krampus Skateboards specifically. How are you both? Oh, we're doing very good. Very good, thank you. Fantastic. Well, again, I really do appreciate your time. Um, thank you for coming on and, and hopefully educating me and uh, my audience a little bit about what you do and about Krampus Skateboards proper. But before we dive into that, as with every time I do an interview of this sort, I do like to get to know a little bit about the people uh, that I'm talking to. So can you tell me a little bit about yourselves? My name is Heather Melendez, and I'm a priestess in the Church of Satan. Um, I became involved in Satanism when I first read the Satanic Bible when I was 14, but I felt a real connection when I was about 16 with the Satanic Witch when that came out. And since then, I became actively involved with the church. Uh, Starting in 2004, I was on several different documentaries, and I also performed the Lust Ritual for the 666 Satanic High Mass. I saw that. I was really impressed by that. And and, And if you don't mind, if I can ask you quickly about that, was that was that stressful being in that large environment and and performing a ritual in that in that setting? It was exhilarating. I loved it. I we practiced for a couple days beforehand, um, but the whole thing went off without a hitch, and it was it was a really intense, amazing experience. So I I don't think it was it was a little bit nerve wracking, but. But in the end, it was it went off beautifully. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's actually still available if if uh, the audience wants to look at the Church of Satan's YouTube page. You can actually see the entire six six zero six ritual there, and um, see how they're performing. And and it was, you know, one of those timeless events that it w- you know because the technology is the way it is now will be really kind of in the ether forever. Have you ever considered? Um, what it would mean to be associated forever, and and to be able to be reviewed forever in that in that type of a ritual in that setting. 
I feel that it's an honor. Um, yeah. I'm really fortunate. There's not very many women uh, that are spokeswomen for the Church of Satan. So on that sense, that I just feel very lucky that I'm one of the people that are able to just be representing the church. So it doesn't, I don't have a problem with it forever. That's beautiful. That's awesome. Well, do you mind if we maybe transition a little bit over here into uh, Krampus skateboard territory? Absolutely. Okay. So how long have have uh, both of you, Alex, um, as well, been involved in the skateboarding industry? Well, it kind of starts with me, as Alex. I, um, I've been skateboarding for 31 years. I'm 40 years old, so I started at a young age. Yeah. Uh, and I grew up in a town that was uh, historic for skateboarding I grew up in upland california which is home to the pipeline skate park which is the world's first uh, vertical skateboard park and one of the last ones to remain in the 80s before uh most all in california were uh, demolished um so i spent my childhood uh, riding a skateboard and getting to know uh different professionals and such that would come from all over the world to uh, skate at pipeline um so my first job was naturally to work at the Pipeline Skate Park um, at, at the age of 15. So I kind of started out in the industry a little bit at that time. Um, but, of course, uh, I, I took a lot of other different avenues since then. Uh, I went to school for uh, technical theater design, lighting, and set design specifically. Oh, wow. Actually, in about I quit uh, going to college to uh, start a skateboard ramp manufacturing business in uh, early 2000. Um, and I ran that for about four years, and it, it was really tough as uh, a lot of the municipalities um, in and about California and around the country were building uh, skate parks uh, that uh, skateboarders could go to for free. So it kind of hurt my business in selling ramps if somebody could just go uh, skate somewhere for free. So we ran that for about four years and such, and then um, I've been playing... Uh, playing drums for a long time and I play currently play drums in a punk rock band and uh, putting a lot of effort into that and then I uh, got married to Heather uh, back in uh, 2011 well, <laughs> and, congratulations uh, and we've known each other I mean that that's a whole other story onto itself we've known each other for about five years uh, so uh, when we got married and such we decided uh, hey you know we should put some effort into something else that uh, that's near and dear to our hearts, and uh, Heather kind of grew up around skateboarding too, as I met her in the same town when we were very young. Um, but uh, we decided, hey, let's let's start a skateboard company. Um, and I said, well, what what would we name this company? And uh, you know, Heather's influence and uh, knowledge, she says, uh, well, let's let's name it Krampus. And she explained Krampus. I hadn't heard of Krampus, and she pointed <laughs> Krampus out to me. And, and I say, you know what, that's an awesome idea. I think that would be great. And uh, actually, Heather is the main influence um, uh, behind the company and, and what Heather's into. And actually, Heather's been an influence in my life uh, ever since we were children. So, uh, But more so with this company. And uh, kind of, she's kind of the backdrop, uh, if you will. I mean, uh, with her love of horror films and... Um, what she does with the church and her, her overall knowledge about uh, Krampus and, and what that means around the world. Um, so it, we, we thought it to be a very good um, uh, 
concept as well because um, in the country in the countries that actually uh, really participate in Krampus festivities, um, you know, there's no set way for Krampus to look. Um, they, you know, over the last what couple hundred years, putting him on Christmas cards and such, uh, he's been depicted in many different and multiple different ways. Um, so we felt that we had a lot of leeway as far as designing um, uh, graphics for skateboards and shirts and hats and such like that. So um, that that was really uh, attractive to to me, and and I felt that it would be attractive to the skateboarding world. Um, well, skateboarding. If you don't mind if I could jump in here really quick. I mean. There, there's a lot there that, you, that you've been going into, and I'm actually kind of curious a little bit more um, if we can sort of take a step back here. You've been skateboarding your whole life. When you're doing it, is this is this a lifestyle for you, or is, is this just a hobby that you were um, that's a part of your life? Um, actually, it's more of a lifestyle. I mean, it's it's all of the above. Um, you know, in, in some respects, it's it's great exercise. Uh, it's also uh, it's also caused me many injuries, a lot of hospital visits, um, but more so it's it's a uh, it's a way of life. Um, pretty much centered my life around it. Uh, all my friends come from skateboarding, um, and uh, we all like you know punk rock music and, and everything hardcore. Um, skateboarding is real you know famous for for being uh, a little bit outcasted um, as far as it's not a mainstream sport. It's become a mainstream sport because of uh, X Games and things like that. But over the years, it's never, you know, especially when I started, it wasn't widely accepted. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, I know. Still... I mean, just with me growing up, it was very much a, um, you know, the rebel kids got into skateboarding and stuff. Does it? And, and I've always been curious about this. Does it ever bother you, or, or maybe do you see it as um, a negative adjustment when when you start you know because you were raised with skateboarding and the, there wasn't like the helmet or the knee pads or the elbow pads or you know the safety aspect of it wasn't there and, and certainly there's some good to that but do you ever see that as a negative with the sport nowadays um yeah actually i mean I, i've seen it where where nowadays i mean you'll see some young kids at the park and then you'll have like uh i guess a quote-unquote like you know, soccer mom or soccer dad that's out there yelling at their kid to perform certain tricks uh, when they've never actually stepped on a board. It's pretty, uh, uh, for me, that's, that's you know, that's not very cool. I mean, actually, my folks have never seen me skateboard. Uh, it was just something they weren't into. They're kind of old school. So, um, but, you know, it, it, you know, as it became mainstream, I mean, uh, there's been a lot of laws put on the books that kids have to wear, you know, all this protective gear and such. Um, and then, you know, they get stiff fines and, uh, citations at skate parks if they're not wearing, uh, the protective gear. And the bottom line is that, that most, uh, kids and adults, they, they pretty much skateboard within their means. Um, they know what they can and can't do. And, uh, you know, but accidents do happen. I mean, I've, I've worn a helmet and gotten knocked out and got concussions through the helmet before. Maybe the helmet helped. Damn. I mean, maybe the helmet helped or maybe it didn't. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, elbows and knee pads, I mean, uh, it just depends on what type of skateboarding you do. I can see, you know, like if you're doing something like the Mega Ramp, which is featured in the X Games, 
you might want to put on all that stuff because you're going to be going really fast and and uh, if you if you lose it your body's going to go completely out of control and who knows what will happen to you but for the most part i mean people you know skateboard within their means and and uh, you know skateboarding I, I would always say that uh is probably about 95 to 98 percent uh balls and about you know the rest is talent so <laughs> you know yeah. so you know people can kind of gauge it from there you know so yeah well, do, you, do you mind if i ask you about the, your your previous business uh with the ramps uh-huh. i mean was it sort of a double-edged sword because and, and i don't know maybe this speaks a little bit larger uh to, to the passion side of things but did it bother you that it was becoming more popular uh skateboarding and and that you know it, it was a negative that you were losing business because it was becoming more popular but then on the other hand you know there's more people involved in it and so it could sort of develop and grow as an industry yeah i mean it was good to see i mean things kind of come up a little bit more it, it definitely created more opportunities for people to make money um and skateboarding on a whole kind of peaked out in 2006 um as, as far as the financials and as you know and kind of with recessions and such it kind of took a downturn People didn't have a lot of disposable income to throw around. Um, the other thing too, I mean, most you know, most uh, most kids' parents don't don't want their kids to be skateboarding. So when it came to skateboard ramps and such like that, I mean, we were we were selling a uh, you know professional uh, professionally built you know uh, ramp, and um, what happened is like places like Toys R Us and such started uh, selling like uh, these little plastic ramps for thirty dollars. So it was easier for a parent to go over there, um, spend the 30 bucks, get the kid off their back, and then just kind of, you know, turn the other way and and hope their kid didn't get hurt. But um, in some ways, some of the commercialization has been good because it's kind of kept the sport alive during during downturns. There's always been peaks and valleys ever since skateboarding has been around. I mean, as far as it getting real hot and then dying off and then getting hot again. So it's kind of kept it alive, and it's spread throughout the world. Um, Southern California, uh, demographically, is the uh, center of the skateboarding universe. I mean, it, it is. It's just uh, demographically, it's a fact. So it's um, it's kind of um, caused waves throughout the world. So uh, a lot of other countries are getting involved with it. Did you? I mean, going into this um, with your your previous uh, business experience and. Just you know, referencing what you were saying, how how skateboarding itself has ebbs and flows in popularity and interaction. Were you worried about starting up a skateboarding company? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, I knew that uh, that it was still around, and and the people that are um, core to the industry are still around. I mean, they've been around for ever since the beginning, and um, and then they've kind of handed it down, gen- uh, uh, at least a generation or two now. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's kind of worrisome. I mean, and then of course, starting a business like this, it, it, I think in starting a business, you don't realize um, the amounts that it, of of cash that it takes to to launch a company like this. I mean, kind of a grassroots um, type of company, starting from basically a computer to a table in a room to a garage, and then now getting to the point where we're going to have to get out into a warehouse. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that were kind of unforeseen. Uh, a friend of mine, when I had the ramp business, owned a, skate, a small skateboarding company in the same town. And 
he's given me a lot of insight as as to what to do, what not to do. Um, it's kind of like a punk rock band, and I would say it like this. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the punk rock, but with punk rock, if you do one cheesy song or, or something cheesy, then it just ruins you forever. Um, and it's kind of the same way for skateboarding. If, if you come out with a product that's considered, uh, you know, not up to coolness <laughs> standards, um, then it's gonna, everybody's going to remember that one negative thing and not uh, dwell on any of the positive of it. So, it's, so you're not going to be licensing any Hello Kitty skateboards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like I can like run over, you know, like if Walmart comes to me and says, hey, I want to put your product in, in our stores, you say, well, at that point, then you just made a decision not to be cool again. Um, you might have a whole bunch of money in your pocket, but at that point, you have to make that decision whether whether or not uh, you want to be cool anymore. Wow, <laughs> so, yeah. And then the thing with Krampus on a whole, uh, we found out right away with Krampus that uh, um, moms and dads weren't too hip uh, to Krampus, and uh, we uh, proudly display the sigil on our, uh, on our boards. And uh, a lot of people, you know, ha it has a negative effect, um, but we kind of like that. Um, we're not the first company to uh, put like a Baphomet or a sigil or anything like that on a board. Uh, a lot of people do it, but I don't think they really understand where it comes from or what it's all about. Um, so kind of the, the thing with us is that since we do put uh, those items on the boards, um, we feel like it has a little bit more credibility because of Heather's background and, uh, and actually knowing where that comes from and what it really is all about. That's great. Uh, and I have to, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious because, I mean, you yourself admitted to not really being aware of the Krampus tradition that was going on. I'd be surprised if the majority of, of skateboarders or, or certainly the mothers of skateboarders or, or fathers of skateboarders would either. Uh, is it something that's always brought up? I mean, are you just sick of telling people <laughs> the, the Krampus story? No, actually, it's it's not always brought up, and as things have uh, kind of progressed a little bit, um, we've been around about two years now, and um, as we are getting more popular, people are actually doing a lot of their own research. I mean, if you just Google Krampus, it, it's just going to come up like wild. Um, so I think it, it's, it's starting to make its rounds a little bit, and people are starting to figure it out on their own. I was at a skate park this last week, and uh, talked to some kids I didn't know, and they said, "Oh, you own Krampus? Oh, okay, Krampus. He's the Christmas devil." I said, "That's right." So nice. I mean, that was kind of refreshing that I didn't have to tell the story, um, but I have told the story over and over, and um, you know, people are either real cool with it or they're not that into it. But for the most part, people are very, you know, kind of respectful of it. I mean, in this day and age, a little bit more politically correct, I guess. So they just kind of. You know, and then I guess, you know, I'm kind of a big guy, so people don't really uh, like to, uh, I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I'm intimidating to them, so they don't really want to talk too bad to me. But, uh, yeah. well, but overall, you... oh, it's, it's, you know, there is some explaining, and I've had some people, some uh, some Christian folks that were real, uh, um, real anti our company, and uh, uh you know, but hey, you know, whatever. I'm not really trying to uh, uh, farm out to them. I'm not really trying to sell to those groups. As a matter of fact, it all a lot of that stemmed from when I did have the ramp business. 
when I had the ramp business, I uh, was selling to a lot of different people, and I contracted through. Um, I started to contract through some uh, Christian churches in the neighborhood, and um, believe it or not, the only people that uh, that burned me for cash were them. Oh uh, shit! Really? <laughs> yeah. So it kind of put a sour taste in my mouth, and uh, <laughs> the other thing. <laughs> So, you know, like putting up, a, you know, they wanted to build a big skate park and then they have you give them ramps on good faith and you give them some ramps and then they never contract the park. Um, or, uh, you know, but what, what I did a lot of is I used to rent out the ramps and uh, take the ramps to put on demonstrations. Uh, I had a team of guys that would go out and put on demonstrations. So sometimes the churches would rent out the, uh, the, the ramps for those demonstrations. But what I saw there was it was actually it was actually a device they were using to corner the kids into hearing their message. Um, and at that point, every kid rolled their eyes and was like, "This sucks." Um, and you know, and that's not what skateboarding is about, um, and so on and so forth. So I saw the churches using using uh, using skateboarding as a device to get their message through, and they still do it today. So I guess that's kind of a little bit of the inspiration behind Krampus is to, to is the anti-church, you know. Um, yeah. You know, I've been asked to actually sponsor events at churches. I'm like, are you kidding? You haven't researched me. <laughs> you don't know us. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, if you don't mind, uh, Heather, Alex had mentioned that you, you were the one that brought up uh, the Krampus. What inspired the idea to you? Uh, Krampus has always been my favorite folklore mythological story. Um, I've, I've heard about it when I was young and I've always remembered it. Um, there's a lot of celebrations in Europe still to this day and I find that really fascinating that they're not afraid to celebrate any kind of devilish revelry during the holidays. So that's always been on my mind and I, the name is just an excellent name for kind of just to stand out there. So that's why I said, you know what, it's kind of like the what the church represents, and we're not actually, the Church of Satan's not representing through Krampus skateboards, right. but um, the ideology that I carry is kind of part of that, the darker side of life, which is what our company represents, it's just the darker side of, of skateboarding, of what skateboarding originally was about, and what it's still about, and... We have a team of 16 uh, guys, and they're all pretty hesh, and they don't conform to society. And I think that's, that's what our company is about, is not conforming to all the, the trendy, you know, groups that go on now. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, if I can sort of uh, carry that forward a little bit, I mean, even on your website, you know, you do, and, and it was mentioned earlier here in the discussion that you had the... Uh, well, we'll say the pentagram with the uh, lightning bolt going through it, which, you know, is obviously a symbol used um, by Church of Satan members um, to identify. Is it ever a concern for you because there still is, foolishly, some some negative connotations to Satanism and, and certainly Satanic symbolism? So was there ever a concern that that might not be a good idea to associate your business, your professional life? Um, with that? Well, for myself, um, being involved uh, for so many years with the church, just, you know, being on TV and being exposed out there, for myself, it wasn't a problem. 
for our business. Uh, I think that is was the whole point of of starting it. It's just to be kind of the opposite. The the people that stand out and stand up for for all the guys who and girls who don't want to conform with society. So I think it's enhanced it. Uh, we've definitely had our, our fair share at, at skate contests of uh, people questioning or you know not liking you know our our booth or you know what our skateboards are. But you know that that comes with the territory. And you know if if parents don't like it, then I think we're doing a good job. Nice, and I have to say it is it is pretty refreshing seeing uh, seeing it open and and unashamedly you know shown for what it is um i think that's very uh one powerful and inspirational to a lot of people um well let me ask you about the boards themselves i mean do, do you uh do you manufacture those in-house is that something that you all do or do you contract that out actually uh all of our boards are made about three miles from where we live um they're actually contracted through a company in ontario california um, and uh, they've been pressing boards there for over 25 years. Um, most, I'd say more than 90% of the boards on the market nowadays are made in uh, either Mexico or China. Um, so they've outsourced, all these big brands have outsourced uh, overseas because they, there's a little bit more profit in, in it for them. Uh, but uh, we're fortunate that uh, we can have them made here in the United States um, and close to home. I can go down and uh, get my hands dirty and shape out my own shapes. Um, and I have direct contact with the, uh, the owner of the factory. Um, and they're very supportive of us. So um, there'll probably be some uh, photo ads coming up real soon where we're actually uh, pictured next to the machinery that actually is used to make our boards, which... No other company uh, around can do that. Very um, cool. Yeah, because unless they fly everybody to China or Mexico. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I, can you can you let me in on uh, sort of the inside here? What? How would you define a good board? What makes a good board? Well, I mean, all the boards out, out there. I mean, everybody's tried everything under the sun to make a board that'll last forever and that it'll be as strong as possible. Um, but uh, overall, a lot of those efforts have failed or they're just corny. So um, tried and true is, is uh, Canadian maple. Um, all the good boards are made of Canadian maple. And um, it, it's not always so much the, the wood itself, but it, it's, it's, it has a lot to do with the glue that they're using, which is very specific and um, the process in which they're putting the boards together, the way they're pressing the boards and the way they're um, storing the boards and sealing the boards. Um, a lot of companies and small guys out there that, uh, I mean, anybody can press a board. I mean, it's not, um, it's not a huge secret. It is rather secretive, but it's not a huge secret. There's plenty of information online. Anybody, anybody can press their own skateboard. But uh, a lot, of, um, some of the upstarts haven't really got a handle on the entire process um, from start to finish. So what they're doing is putting out a product that warps or bends. Um, but the way I rate a good board, all boards are going to break eventually, especially the way the guys are skating them. The the harder they skate, the more frequent they're going to break. Um, yeah. So, uh, but. Uh, 
that's one of the main things. I mean, if you if uh, if a product comes uh, domestically where it was actually invented, um, and uh, has been created for the last couple of decades or so, um, to me that's a good board. Outsourcing. I mean, they could teach uh, they could teach the methods to uh, people out of the country and come out with a pretty decent product. Um, but uh, overall, it's not quite the same. And, um, I think the skaters have, have really seen the difference in, in our boards uh, opposed to uh, some of the others that are made overseas. Nice. Well, what about the artwork? I mean, wh where does that all come from? Well, the artwork has been a culmination of different things. Um, some of it I've done myself um, on the computer. Um, some of it was uh, we took some old movie posters and such um, from way back when that nobody knew about. Uh, I mean, mainstream-wise, but we did a little short run of those, but now we're actually working with an artist um, out of Ontario, Canada. Uh, his name is Patrick Carson Sparrow. Uh, you should definitely check out his work online. Um, and he's, he's just really into our company. He really likes our company. His work is phenomenal. And the thing I like about his work is he's actually a screen printer, so he understands that uh, most of our boards nowadays are screen printed, um, where there's two different processes actually. I mean, the old school way is to, to screen print the boards. Um, the new school way is to do a heat transfer where they print out on a special film uh, picture-perfect like graphics and then they apply that uh, film to the board um, using intense heat, which isn't necessarily all that great for the board, um, but uh, it's still pretty effective. But what we prefer to do is we prefer to go the old school route of of uh, screen printing and what we like about Patrick is that since he is a, a, a silk screen guy up in, uh, in Canada he understands how to draw up the graphics so they can be screened um, so he's we kind of found him online and and he liked what we were about and uh, you know and, and we like the terms that we could uh, do business with each other so he's going to be coming out with a lot of different uh, graphics for us here in the very uh, very near future. Nice. And actually, we haven't mentioned it yet, but uh, your website is krampusskates.com, and you can see some artwork there as well as learn a little bit more about Krampus skateboards themselves. Um, are you ever on the outlook for new artists? We are. Um, you know, we, we kind of like scour the internet a little bit and find people online, and especially through social media. I mean, I think with the social media, you know, like Facebook and such, um, you know, you're just seeing seeing what other people like, and then you know, um, people that we're already associated with, we see what they like, and they may be artists themselves, and we may like their art, but then they like the art of somebody else, so we start to like their art too. And um, you know, uh, some artists are are real giving; they just wanna, they like the idea of it, they like the idea of the company. Uh, and so on and so forth, and, and uh, they realize that we're not a big company, but uh, they can, they'll work with us. And then other artists, you know, they don't want to work with you. They want, uh, they want a bunch of money from you. So, and I, and I can't blame them. I mean, they, they uh, you know, they work hard on their work, and, and, and that's what they have to do. But, uh, you know, some other people, they, they're just kind of like uh, down for the cause, I guess. So that helps out a lot. Great. Great. Well, I also read that you have, I mean, and you mentioned you have a team of writers. What does that mean to have a team? 
It's kind of funny too because uh, you know a lot of people say, well, skateboarding is a sport. It's not really a sport. It's um, that's why you don't see an Olympics game, the Olympic Games. Uh, the skateboarding industry on a whole uh, was approached to put it in the Olympic Games, and they said, no way, it's not going to happen. Uh, it's too hard to judge. It's 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 almost like an art form. Each skater has their own way of doing the tricks, even though some of the tricks are standard. Um, uh, the tricks can vary now. So when you say team, it's kind of funny because um, that's just kind of a generic term that we use for our guys that skate our our boards specifically, um, and only our boards, and we supply them with boards. So we actually sponsor uh, a group of guys. Um, there's about 16 of them. We just signed up uh, a professional, an actual, you know, bona fide professional. Um, he's been professional for 10 years. His name is Austin Seaholm. He competes worldwide. He, um, he ranked out uh, fourth in the World Cup last year. Uh, so he's 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 nationally or internationally recognized. And then some of our other guys are more regional guys. Um, and uh, they help you know by sponsoring them. They help uh, show our product out at the different skate parks and different spots where everybody skates. Um, we do a lot of. Um, we take a lot of photos of them and uh, a lot of video. We're actually working on a video to come out hopefully by fall. Um, so we're we're trying to put a video together uh, to help promote the business. Where, where can people go to check out that video and to you know just learn a little bit more about the company? Yeah, actually, um, there's a ton of um, fo- photos on uh, Facebook as uh, under Krampus Skateboard. Or they can go to our like page, which is uh, Krampus Skateboards. Um, a lot of photography in there, a lot of pictures of the guys and and what we're doing. When the video comes out, we're, we're actually working on the promo. The promo should be done hopefully by the end of the month. Um, it'll be like a four-and-a-half-minute promo, uh, and that it's like a trailer uh, slash teaser. Um, that one should come out by the end of the month, and that'll probably be uh, on YouTube. It'll be free. And um, so people can check it out on YouTube, or they can uh, probably there'll probably be a link from uh, Facebook, so they can check it out directly from there. Fantastic. And we're also on Instagram as well, so uh, we we post photos on Instagram, but uh, we're not into uh, tweeting yet. So Twitter is like that's just like one more thing. We have so many hats. Over there. <laughs> it's like please, I mean, do they really need to know every second of every day of what we do? I don't think so, but. Yeah, it's, seriously. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. I mean, as far as, you know, we'll all pile in a van and <clears throat> show up at a skate park, you know, miles away from home and kind of take the place over. And people know, you know, they're like, what? These guys are like pros. And and they, they took over this place. And who are they? And, and that kind of helps out a lot because then they start saying, well, we skate for this company, Krampus. And, and it, it kind of pushes it out there. So that's part of the reason for the team. Are there rivals or anything like that, like between uh, sponsored teams? Not really. I mean, everybody pretty much accepts each other. Um, uh, you know, I mean, obviously there's other small companies uh, in the area of where we live, um, but uh, everybody kind of respects each other and does their own thing. I mean, I'm sure uh, behind closed doors they have their, their opinions and words. Uh, but uh, when we all come together, and we do see each other quite frequently um, because of contests and demonstrations and stuff, um, you know, it, there's a mutual respect. 
Um, they might ask what's going on with our company. We might ask them what's going on with their company, um, and you know, kind of uh, you know, rub elbows a little bit. But I mean, <laughs> as, as far as you know, as far as uh, going head to head and having a confrontational type of uh, no, nah, there's nothing like that. Um, it's you know, skateboarders are real cool. I, I used to surf a lot, and I remember going surfing and. Uh, the thing that always bothered me about surfing was that you'd show up at a place and if they didn't know you, then you weren't welcome, uh, you know, because there's only so many waves to catch that day. And and uh, if you were on somebody's wave, well, you know, they, they were uh, they were ferocious, you know, to say the least. Okay. So, uh, but uh, over in skateboarding, I mean, a lot of it has to do with you show up and if you show up as a skateboarder and, and you're doing things that maybe some other people there can't do, um, people will sit down and watch and, and really applaud that and they really, uh, really enjoy it. And, uh, we definitely have a presence. A lot of our guys are, you know, they're long hair, they're a little scruffy, a little dirty looking, um, nonconformist, you know. So, Hell yeah. yeah. I mean, we, there's definitely kind of a little bit of a rock star presence when they show up, for sure. Cool. Yeah. But I, I truly appreciate your time, and this has been a lot of fun for me. Uh, audience, if you have time, check out the Facebook pages. Uh, that's already been mentioned. Also, the the website, KrampusSkates.com. Heather, uh, Alex, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website, 9centspodcast.com, and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at ReadyFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com, and if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit RadioFreeSatan.com, the source for online satanic media. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, hail Satan.